Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. I'm away this week, but here is one of my favorite episodes to tide you over until I get back. Agriculture technology is helping to fight COVID-19 and play a role in preparations for future pandemics. A recent article in Nature Biotechnology said the current COVID-19 pandemic shows the need to mobilize efforts on a large scale to ramp up diagnostics and testing. The lead author is Steve Webb, Chief Executive Officer of the Global Institute for Food Security based out of the University of Saskatchewan. Webb will explain how the tools used in plant breeding, like genetic testing and sequencing, are the same as those used in pharmaceutical and healthcare. The Canadian Beef Industry Conference usually attracts hundreds of cattle producers as well as other industry players in the beef industry to Calgary, Alberta, but instead the conference was held entirely online due to the pandemic. The opening keynote speaker was from London, England. David Hughes is an emeritus professor of food marketing at Imperial College, and he is considered an expert in global food issues and opportunities. He spoke about food trends and the steps the cattle industry needs to take in order to be sustainable and strong. After the break, Steve Webb. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Steve Webb is the CEO for the Global Institute for Food Security based out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Steve, first of all, just explain how ag tech labs have assisted during this pandemic. Alice, thanks for the opportunity to talk about our uh, our paper. And agriculture labs, particularly large um, ag tech labs, such as the uh, omics and precision agriculture, precision ag lab at the Global Institute for Food Security, OPAL, have the ability to use the same technologies and tools, and so the same equipment that's used in medical diagnostic labs. So, for example, gifts we donated, not donated, we lent, pardon me, um, some of our equipment from our OPAL lab to help the province uh, health authority scale up the COVID-19 testing early on in, in the pandemic. And one of the things that we we started to think about is would it be a would it be a better use of our labs as opposed to being a source of spare parts and materials and supplies but because we are set up to run thousands of samples routinely because we use the same tools and technologies that the medical lab does to apply those tools for improving plant breeding and animal breeding etc so we're already geared up to run thousands of samples in typical medical diagnostic labs in times of non-pandemic are not designed to run at that scale where we are. So the idea of our paper was, one, we have the same tools and technologies and we actually have the same processes for agricultural applications that are used in human uh, medical diagnostic applications. We also deal with complexity of you know, samples, we have lots of regulatory requirements around material that we work with as well. So, you know, it's kind of like we have an infrastructure, we have assets and we have capacity that potentially it would have been shut down and out of, and not available to the country to use in times of emergency response. 
The other thing that we wanted to make a point of, a clear point of in the article, is a reminder to everyone that pandemics are not just a human phenomenon, but they can also affect animals and they can affect plants, both with impacts on all three have impacts on food security and an economic loss. And we referred to the example of, you know, in the UK, um, you know, in the early 2000s, the outbreak of foot and mouth disease had, you know, significant economic impact on the on the agricultural community there, as well as social impact and disruption on many producers and processors, uh, families and lives. The other thing is, you know, closer to home, the the BSC outbreak that uh, that happened again had a significant impact on our ability to move. So again, pandemics and epidemics are human, animal, and plant. That was the other point we wanted to make in the article is that we can't let our guard down, so to speak. We need to be prepared, and uh, we need to be, you know, thinking about how we would respond to these crises versus figuring it out on the fly. And again, I think we want to make investments and we want to utilize the investments that we've already made as a country in a much more strategic way. For example, the investments that have been made in Opal enable us to accelerate breeding of new varieties of wheat and lentils and canola to help uh, provide producers in Western Canada better performing material that's more resilient and more adaptive to ever-changing economic and environmental conditions. We would like, you know, using that infrastructure in a pandemic, you know, to me and the co-authors made sense provided that A, we had scale, B, we had the, the discipline, which we do to comply with the rules that we need to operate under in the ag world to be able to begin that coordinated transfer in times of national crisis to be able to support uh, diagnostic testing at scale. So again, the idea of going from, you know, tens and hundreds normally to thousands that are needed to address a pandemic like we've seen with COVID-19, it's relatively easy to bring our ship, and that's the metaphor we use online, to help with that. Do you think the general public understands just high-tech ag research is. I think it's fascinating that these labs can deal with the volumes that you've talked about where some of these medical facilities aren't able. That was also part of the purpose of the article because most people don't realize that the same, we use the same technology that's in in the medical labs. And again, you know, we, we donated a piece of equipment that's called a Kingfisher to the Saskatchewan Health Authority because they needed more to scale up. And, you know, we had it and we we, provide, we lent it to them to enable them to scale up. And part of the article is we routinely run at higher scale than they normally do. So let's, you know, let's think about strategic deployment of resources. You know, one of the things that is potentially at risk is labs like ours could potentially be shut down during a, you know, a pandemic. And, you know, that would be a waste of talent and a waste of infrastructure that could be helping to address this. So the good news is we were able to provide, uh, we work closely with the you know, Saskatchewan Health Authority. And again, it's the same equipment. A little story about that is it's not widely known. There was 
I remember one time I was given a tour of the labs uh, that I used to have with uh, the head of the the head medical officer with Roche Diagnostics, and he was stunned to see some of Roche's equipment in our ag lab because they purposely built it for medical diagnostic purposes, and he was stunned to see his equipment in our lab, and we were using it on ag applications. Ag agriculture is a Agriculture is a technologically advanced, data-driven industry. And again, that was the other reason for, for writing the article is that, you know, again, we are, very, it's a very sophisticated industry and our customers are demanding better and better material and we need to use the best technology to get it there. Steve Webb is the lead author on a recent article on ag tech's role during this pandemic. Steve, it truly is an international problem. Uh, some of your collaborators on this article were also from England, I understand. Again, I think one of the things that's interesting about the ag space is these these very large ag labs like our Opal Lab exist, you know, in the United States, in the EU, in Australia, for example, um, you know, everywhere in the world. And again, that was another reason why, you know, bringing awareness to the fact that this infrastructure is available and exists um, is important for that deployment piece. The other thing that we need to be thinking about is as the country comes out of the pandemic, investments in, for example, agriculture, our lab runs at at a high throughput to support breeding activities. Investing... In, in businesses like agriculture that use the same technology that can be redeployed in the case of a, a pandemic means that that infrastructure would be running in times that there is no pandemic and contributing to improvements in economic, environmental, social, etc. And so contributing to economic growth and recovery versus if we were to buy the equipment and put it in Uh, a medical facility where it would be, you know, if needed, it'd be there, but it would sit idle or underutilized. And that was another reason why we wanted to kind of mention that there's businesses, we need to look holistically across the globe and national economies to see where's the best place to, to invest and create these kinds of infrastructure to contribute both to economic recovery, but also to be quickly brought to bear to respond to new disease epidemics or pandemics. Steve, over the course of this pandemic, I've attended a lot of conferences, virtually, of course, but there has been a lot of discussion about what have we learned through this process and what we what would we do differently now, um, now that we're, you know, months into this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So when you look back, what would you say has been the government's response to this and uh, any thoughts that you have about perhaps things that should have been done differently? COVID-19 is something none of us have ever experienced before. And I think in general, given the, the, the uniqueness of the case and what's happened, I think in Canada, I think provincially, we've done really, we've done quite well. Um, 
but, but there are always lessons to be learned. And I think part of the point of the article is a awareness that there is a significant amount of infrastructure that can be brought to bear. B, it requires us to proactively plan about how that switch from utilization in ag could be enabled to come into um, that we had to bring uh, we can bring that infrastructure in line and coordinated with the medical testing community for example so again I think we did a very good job of learning adapting as information became available and again we were kind of peering in a black box I think the takeaway for me and the recommendation is having a strategic plan to be able to harness the power that we have at the national level across Canada, be able to bring to bear to respond to these issues needs to be done and needs to be put in place, uh, not in a crisis, but before a crisis so that we have a, and we need to practice it that we can bring online. I think one of the models that I would suggest for us to look at is Australia with respect to their biosecurity and biovigilance programs. So again, I think there's models out there that we can leverage, you know, post COVID-19 to be ready for, you know, prepare for the next one. So again, remember, unfortunately, as we state in the paper, you know, in we've seen COVID-19, we've seen, uh, MERS, we've seen SARS, we've seen Zika, we've, you know, we're seeing, you know, animal diseases like foot and mouth all in the last 20 years. So these are things that I think we unfortunately need to be not accept it, but prepare for it is where I think we, we need to do and be proactive about it. Global Institute for Food Security CEO Steve Webb. After the break, a professor of food marketing in the UK talks about food trends. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. David Hughes spoke to the cattle industry during the recent Canadian Beef Industry Conference online. He said so-called climate-friendly food is becoming very important to marketers and consumers, especially those in younger generations, and notes there is a greater social pressure to move in this direction. And he pointed to Swedish teenager Greta Thunberg as being a major influencer. It was with us pre-COVID. And this whole notion of climate-friendly diets, it's so powerful. I, I think it's gaining substantial traction. Again, is this just a silly European or uh, North American thing? Not at all. Wherever I go, you see young people saying, we have to do something about the climate. We've got to do something about the environment. We might have to change the way that we eat because we can influence the impact of our diet on the environment. I know this really it more than irritates you. It outrages you. But it's here we are, diets for a better future. And what are the foods that are perceived to have high environmental impact and not necessarily great impact on their health? It's processed red meats and unprocessed red meats. I know that infuriates you, but it's out there. And we have to address this, I would suggest. Now, even in meat-friendly New Zealand, with its large sheep farming sector, there could be change on the way. And Hughes says a carbon tax on meat production is being considered. 
In New Zealand, the government said, if you don't fix the problem you've got with carbon and agriculture in general, but not least with livestock, then we will tax you. And what's more, here's the targets you've got to hit, or else we'll be in to taxing you within just a couple of years. Government to conduct review of livestock sector in 2022. That's in two years, in 18 months' time. If no progress made, emissions will be subject to New Zealand taxes. Now, on the positive side, the world protein market is going to grow in the coming decades. In addition to beef, pork and chicken, there will be more choices, both plant-based and cell-based products made in labs. And Hughes said beef producers need to make more direct connections with their consumers. People are starting to say, where does my food come from? They want to know more about it. It's very reassuring to them. And what's more, they want more than just nouns. What do I mean that? Beef is a noun. Chicken is a noun. They want to buy more than that. They want to buy meat with adjectives. And what sort of adjectives? If we relate it to, uh, to beef in this particular case, what adjectives do you add to beef? Free range, grass-fed, farmer, a specific farmer. Aberdeen Angus, a specific breed. Rare breed, slow-grown, omega-3 rich, organic, new season, happy. You get the... If you can follow me here, what's my view in general? I think margins on nouns are very small. Where you get the margin is through adjectives. The trick is to find adjectives that consumers value and are willing to pay more for. David Hughes is a professor with Imperial College in London, England, and he was the opening keynote speaker at the recent Canadian Beef Industry Conference. Now, he said that change is inevitable as multinational companies are repositioning for consumers. He quoted the CEO of Unilever. If our brand doesn't have a purpose, then we shouldn't have that brand. What do they mean by purpose? It's a social purpose. What is it doing to make things better for our world as well as to make more money for for us? Danone are doing exactly the same and saying, we want to be measured on our performance against the global goals, the global sustainable development goals put up by the United Nations. Measure us on our water use in the full cycle of use for our food products, on agriculture, on biodiversity, etc., This is huge and it has an influence on agriculture because we will be responding. It's this whole area of regenerative agriculture uh, that I noticed that big food firms are onto it and they're onto it big time. Big food turning to regen ag, as it's often called, to meet sustainability goals. And they're asking their suppliers, what are you doing? How are you improving the land uh, as well as producing great food? And I think that's it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to relate to consumers, to just show them what we're doing in agriculture to make things better, not make things worse. And Hughes encouraged the Canadian beef industry to adapt to the changing marketplace. Selling commodities in an undiversified market, undifferentiated market, I would say, is a race to the bottom. Yet we have let that be our default position. I would suggest that you, in Beef in Canada, you're not a volume producer. You're a special producer. And you should stop acting like a volume producer. You're much better than that. We must select the market niches where we can excel in providing and capturing value. 
and keep a razor sharp focus on those. David Hughes is a professor emeritus with Imperial College in London, England, and was the keynote speaker at the 2020 Canadian Beef Industry Conference. It's time for the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of August 10th, 2020. McDonald's Canada said it will return to sourcing 100% Canadian beef. The company made the temporary sourcing adjustments in late April due to the industry constraints brought on by the pandemic. Since that time, it has maintained over 80% of its supply from Canadian sources, supplementing with imported beef. McDonald's will continue to source 30% of the beef for its quarter-pounder patties from certified sustainable Canadian farms. The federal government rolled out $18 million for projects to strengthen Canada's food supply chain. The funds are going everywhere, from an Alberta company focusing on plant-based proteins to distilleries in Quebec seeking to upgrade their equipment. The Liberals have been under pressure from farmers and food producers to do more to address the issues the COVID-19 pandemic has created for the sector. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency continued its investigation into the issue of unrequested packages of seeds arriving in mailboxes. CFIA received reports from more than 750 individuals who received the unknown seeds. Based on visual inspections carried out to date, the seeds appear to be low risk. However, Canadians are being cautioned to not plant the seeds. Saskatchewan farmers will once again have the option of free club root testing. The $100 cost for the soil test is being covered by Sask Canola through producer levies. The ideal time to test for club root is after the field is swathed or during the straight cut. Pork producers will have an opportunity to share how they deal with sow mortality. A partnership of organizations from across Canada developed a survey asking producers with sow barns to identify and address the factors that contribute to sow health and mortality. Canadian Centre for Swine Improvement CEO Brian Sullivan said sow culling and mortality figures have increased over the past decade, but the reasons are not well understood. An Agriculture Canada research scientist based in Lethbridge was honoured for her work in the fields of animal nutrition and environmental science, specifically greenhouse gas emissions. Dr. Karen Beauchemin was awarded the 2020 Canadian Beef Industry Award for Outstanding Research and Innovation. Beauchemin has worked with producers, veterinarians, nutritionists and other researchers for more than two decades, publishing 390 peer-reviewed scientific papers. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.